Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. It's a very fun episode. We've got Jordan Shapiro. He is a professor, he is an author, he is an expert on parenting. He's written a book called The New Childhood, which talks about the fact that it's okay for your kids to have screen time. You're gonna to wanna to check it out. He's also written another book that'll be coming out in May. It's called Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad, which is another great book I'm excited to get. He's also got a YouTube show called The Father Figure Cooking Show. This guy is active. So he's here today to talk to us about a few things. First of all, he's here today to tell us that it's okay for your kids to be on screens. We need to relax, get rid of the anxiety, lean into spending time with your kids and making them responsible people. Secondly, he's here to tell us that even though you think that you're the hero of your story, sometimes you gotta accept that you're the villain of other people's story. So be open to that. And lastly, he's here to tell us today that you need to be the voice in your kid's head. All of that and more right now on Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Maz Jobrani. Hey! Jobrani Maz. Oh! Maz Jobrani. Hey! Jobrani. Mazzy, Mazzy. Oh! Maz, 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 Maz. Hey! I got a podcast. Oh! Back to school. Yeah! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. I am Maz Jobrani and this is my sidekick, my co-host, Tehran. How you doing, son? Well, hello there, Maz Jabrani. Tehran, uh, I am so excited today because uh, as a parent, I'm always looking for a new take on parenting. And when I came across Jordan Shapiro, he was in an article in the New York Times that was talking about screen time. Because right now, under the pandemic, we're all worried as parents. Oh my God, is my kid having too much screen time? Is he having too much screen time? And so I contacted him. He said he'd be on the show. And I'm worried about my own screen time sometimes. So my question to you, and I don't, I know you don't have an iPhone, and I don't know if your phone does this. Do you have a, what do you have? A Galaxy Pro? What do you got? I actually I have an Android, but I also have an iPhone. I just don't use my iPhone as my main phone. Okay, so you got your side girl, this girl, you got all <laughs> you're running drug deals. Oh, oh that's fine. My question, because I don't know if your phones do this, the iPhone will report to you how much screen time you had the previous week. And I get worried when I get a notice that says, your screen time increased by 22%. And I'm going, what the hell? And then I start trying to justify it in my head. I'm like, I wonder if it's because I was listening to the music. Well, that was on in the background, so that's not really screen time. And then I wonder if it was because I had the navigation on, that's another hour or two. Under the pandemic, have you been spending too much time on your phone, on your computers, and do you worry about it? What are you going to do about this? You know, it's, it's for me personally, the pandemic really didn't change my personal lifestyle. The only thing it changed is the amount of times I get to perform comedy in front of a live audience. However, I do find myself performing on a Zoom. So I guess that's screen time. Is that, does that count? So you're never worried about, oh my God, I've been on Twitter, just going, refreshing it over and over again, or, or, oh my God, I've been on Instagram. Oh my God, I'm worried about that. I got, I haven't posted on Instagram, Instagram in two days. Uh, do, do you get anxiety from that stuff at all? Or you just go with the flow guy? There are, t I actually have a, I have a system in which I have a certain set amount of time that I will do Instagram or I will do Twitter or I will do any of the social media things because you'll just get lost in them. They're, they're never ending. You can go through Instagram for the rest of ever, and you will still be scrolling up. Well, you know, it feels like you've already read The New Childhood, because the book is all about teaching your kids how to make decisions and be responsible for themselves to get out of the video game or get off the TV. Because I sometimes, look, I'm pretty good at it. I'm pretty good at putting things down. But again, it sneaks up on you. You know, when it gives me the thing where it says my screen time has increased you know, by 20%, I go, what was I doing? And sometimes I just sit there scrolling through, you know, Twitter and being like, oh, Ted Cruz is an a-hole and uh, this guy, and, you know, just keep going and going and going. And, you know, I think we can all benefit from learning habits of controlling our screen time. Because even though, as, 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 as Jordan will tell us in this episode, it's not, the, the actual screen time isn't what's going to, isn't the problem. 
The problem might be that you're dealing with something else and you're avoiding your feelings. You know, you're trying to fill a hole. Maybe you have anxiety, whatever that is. Um, but, but I think there's also a tool that needs to be learned by kids and adults, which is to step away from the phone. Like just put it down and step away and, and don't feel guilty when you're in it. That's the other thing. Cause he talks about a lot of guilt that comes with, do you ever feel guilty for being on your phone too much? I mean, no, uh, sometimes if I'm in person with someone, then I'll be like, why am I on my phone and not present in the moment? What am I doing? What, what is this email that's so important that I can't just engage with the person? But other than that, not really. Just yeah. when I'm in person. I think you're right. I think we need to remind ourselves to when you're in person, be with the person. But I also feel like you have a very healthy mentality. So, so if if you were my son, I'd be proud of you right do, now, Tehran. Do your I would kids say, play video games? Are they video game people? My son plays, and my daughter. Yeah, they play, but not as much as a lot of other kids. And I've and I've really tried with the kids to just tell them kind of what Jordan says, which is, you guys be in control. So go ahead and play, but just be able to put it down and step away. That's it. You know, that's exactly what you just said. If you're in it, if you if you look around, and you look up and you're like, oh, my God, I'm sitting in a room with other people and I'm not talking to them. Put that down. Start a conversation. The funny thing is sometimes you start the conversation and it's a and you're like, this is a boring conversation. Hey, I should have been on the phone. I should have been on the phone the whole I time. Stayed on the phone. God damn it. Tehran. Um, now, this episode is mid-February, so your birthday's already gone by. What do you got? Anything coming up in the near future that people should ch check you out for? I mean, the biggest things are check for shows with Maz and I. And if this is, even though my birthday's passed, go back and check out all my shows. Other than that. You're at I am Tehran across the board. I'm at Maz Jobrani across the board. My new comedy special, Pandemic Warrior, is currently streaming on uh, uh, the uh, uh, Peacock. Peacock. So find it, watch it. Let me know what you think. Also, Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We're trying to uh, get more and more people to hear it. So tell your friends about it, share it, and also send me messages. You can message me at Maz Jobrani uh, on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want, um, and send us questions. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna start trying to put out the guests that we're going to be having on, and I want you guys to send us questions that we can ask them as well. So we're going to get more and more interactive, uh, and uh, that's it. So without further ado, let's go and talk to our guest this week, Jordan Shapiro on Back to School with Maja Brani. Back to school. Yeah. Jordan Shapiro, author of, of, of Father Figure, author of the book on, 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 on children and, and saying they can play video games. <laughs> You're the guy. Yeah, I like to I like to I like to tell my kids when they tell me I'm not doing things right. I say I literally wrote the book on 21st century parenting. Wow, the new childhood, literally. the new childhood. <laughs> well, listen, let's I told my kids, I said, I'm talking to this guy who wrote a book that says screen time is OK. And they both my 12 year old son and my daughter were like, oh, I got questions. I got questions. So here's the questions from Dara and Mila. And we'll get into it from there, and uh, and then uh, we'll have some fun. All right. So uh, All right. let's see here. Technical, technical. Bada bing, bada boom. So, so they both had questions this week, Maz. As soon both. as it was like you're allowed to play video games, they're like, "We have questions. We have questions." Yeah, yeah I was telling Jordan. Tehran, Tehran knows Jordan. Usually, it's just my son asks a question, but my daughter was like, "I got a question too." So here they are. Here they here they are right at you. Here we go. And boom. Hi, Mr. Shapiro. I have a question for you. What sorts of video games do you play with your kids? Also, do you beat them or do they beat you? Hi, Mr. Shapiro. I also have a question for you. Do you think that TV and video games have the same do the same amount of brain damage? Or do you think that one of them gives you more brain damage than the other? If so, why? All right, so just so <laughs> people that might not have heard that as well, my son goes, what games do you play with your kids and do you win or do they win? And my daughter goes, do, do video games and TV give you the same amount of brain damage or <laughs> give you different brain damage and why? <laughs> go, Jordan, go. Oh, my God. This is, these, are, these are great, great questions. Um, listen, so the first thing is I got to be completely honest. My kids are teenagers now, and I don't play nearly as many video games with them as I did when they were younger, mostly because I'm not good at it. You know, they don't want to play with me. They're like, you stink, right? Because, you know, it's a whole different video game. When I first introduced them to video games, I was letting them play the the, the – 
the the classics that I knew, like you know, Super Mario Brothers two, the, all the reboots of those, and I knew, still knew how to do them. And and I can't do all the like first person shooters with the like ease that they do. I'm like I can't even figure out which one's working the camera. But I will tell you, we do pretty often, probably about once a week, we have like full family tournaments of Super Mario Kart because it's uh, it's uh, awesome. They usually win, but I talk a lot of crap. You know, I, even while I'm losing, I'm just tell them how bad they are. Okay, yeah. okay, you gotta talk smack. There you go, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And then what about, which one's worse for your brain damage, TV or, or, tele or the video? Oh my God, that's such a funny question. Cause I remember like, uh, I remember when I was a kid and my mom used to be like, don't sit so close to the TV, it'll rot your brain and, uh, uh, and all of that. Listen, neither of them will give you brain damage. We've had like over a hundred years since the beginning of TV of doctors doing everything they can to try to prove that screen time is toxic, that it somehow hurts you and they can't, right? They have not succeeded. So there's no evidence that there's anything toxic that happens from looking at a screen. You know, it's not a good idea to use a screen right before bed, I would, I would say to your daughter. Um, in general, there's a lot of good research pointing that it disrupts sleep patterns. Uh, but in terms of like, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to get brain damage from watching TV. Well, you might get brain damage from some of the stupid stuff on TV, but not from the TV itself. <laughs> Fox News. And I told my daughter, stop watching Fox News. Thank yeah. you, Jordan. Yes. <laughs> but Jordan, is there a difference between video games and TV in terms of uh, what's one stimulates better or one's, one's better or worse? Is there anything like that that you know of? No, I mean, look, the, the truth is there, there's really no evidence that, e that either are bad. I mean, a lot of the things you hear about them being problematic are based on studies that have maybe shown that, that, that it leads to a sedentary lifestyle, you know, that you sit still like a lazy bum uh, or that you eat mindlessly while you're, while you're watching and don't think about what's, what, what's going on. And I think that those things are probably possible in, in, in both cases. But I, I would say to all of them, what really matters is, is, is what the game is, what the show is. Is, right you know there, there's a lot of stupid stuff on tv there's a lot of stupid video games there's a lot of video games that have kind of um thematic things that i'm not really excited about uh about my kids spending a lot of time engaged in but uh, um but but there's nothing like direct causal problem you know there, there's no direct causal um uh relationship between negative well-being and and any kind of and any kind of screen time, you know. Uh, and when you really look at, I mean, I'm sure every you, you got people listening to this who are who are like who are like, but I've read an article that said something else, you know. If you really look at those studies, and when I was writing the New Childhood, I believe me, I looked at every single one of them in a lot of detail, and they're so, you know, they, they don't they don't they they don't hold up. Um, and so what I what I really wanted to do with the New Childhood was help parents and educators and hopefully kids see that what we're really living in is a very different context, a context in which it's a digital world and we interact in digital ways. And what we need to do is think about how we want to live in that world and stop you know, fighting about is the world good or bad, you know, because it's not going anywhere. I'm not getting rid of my, my, my smartphone anytime soon and certainly not getting rid of my laptop. So the bigger question for me as a father is how do I raise kids that interact with this technology in a way that's aligned with my values and what I want for them? Well, this leads to kind of I wanted I wanted to find the genesis story of all this. So you were a professor, you were doing your thing, living your life, and then you go through a divorce and, and tell everybody what happened about your you're basically leaning into this because as a father myself, my instinct would be to, to think what you just said is, oh, my God, I read an article. It says it's horrible. And, you know, I should take them on hikes and make them <laughs> uh, paint and make them, uh, you know, write poetry but you found something else. So tell us how you came into this frame in the first place. Yeah, so I had, I had gone through a divorce and, 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 uh, and, and I share half-time custody with, with, with my kid's mother. Uh, and then when they were with me, you know, I really wanted to help them work through the divorce, like any, like any good parent would. I was like, you know, this has got to be hard for you. It's hard, it was hard for me. I mean, uh, like uh, uh, it's a, one of the hardest things I ever went through in my life. So I thought this has to be really hard for kids. And I wanted to sort of say, hey, what are you feeling? How can I process this with you? But it occurred to me very quickly that if I said, hey, kids, let's go on a hike and process your feelings, that that was going to feel like punishment, not like support. So oh, yeah. I, I thought, well, why don't I just sit down? 
down with them and do what they want to do. They wanted to play video games. So I sat and I played video games with them. You know, I wasn't a gamer. I mean, I've played a video game. I grew up in the in the Nintendo years and the Atari years. So I played a little bit, but I, I, I was one of those people. I went through my 20s thinking video games are just a waste of time. They distract me from doing important work. Um, but I, I realized I couldn't have that attitude. I had to sit with them and 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 play with them and talk to them and make them feel like they were supported. Um, that pretty quickly led me to doing a lot of research. I mean, I, I have a, a PhD in psychology and, and philosophy, the PhD is in psychology, but I've done a lot of work in, 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 in philosophy. And I, and I was really curious about how did the, um, not just the narratives, but also the actions of the game shape uh, ways of thinking. And I don't mean the like boring, you know, what we always hear, right? If you play violent video games, you're going to go out and shoot people. In fact, there's no evidence that that's, that that's true. Uh, if, if anything, there's evidence in the opposite direction. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just want to understand it. So I started to research, I started to take all the tools that I had learned in, in, in psychology and philosophy and apply them to the games. And that led me down this road of, of understanding educational games, understanding what makes games work, um, and, and, and really thinking differently about screen time. And then of course, recognizing that so many parents had the attitude you just described and going, that's not good. That's not good for the kids, right? There's nothing good about that for, for, for the kids to, to, to hear us talk about the thing that where, where so much of their identity is, is, is situated, to hear us talk about that as if it's uh, addictive, as if it's a drug, as if it's cigarettes, right? Like this is not the same category as, 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 as that. And, and in many ways, all we're doing, you know, we know how much our kids are using YouTube and Instagram and video game and how much of their lives and sense of self is caught up in that. There can't be anything good about parents constantly going, that's crap, that's crap, it's bad for you, it's stay away, you know, like. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because first of all, the, the, your, your, your style, which was you're trying to get them to, to do the things you think are good, but then you go, you know what, let me go and meet them where, where they're having fun. I, I call it the Bugs Bunny uh, theory, <laughs> which is if you can't beat them, join them. You know, yeah, yeah. sometimes they say that in these cartoons. So you did that now as a parent, because I'm listening to you, you've researched it, you know, and I'm, and I'm, and I love one of the things that I love about, I take away from what you're saying in the new childhood about, about let the kids be kids and don't make video games and video time such a bad thing is I think underneath all of that, you have a message that says, just relax. We've been through this with other stuff, with television, with whatever came before, which I want you to talk about in a second. But also as a parent, I want to ask you a quick question as well. To, so this is a two-part question. And then Tehran, I want you to jump in here as well. But my question to you is, you know, we do worry because when you read these articles, you really do feel like, I mean, you see sometimes, I mean, parents complain all the time. My kid won't get off the thing. It's, he's addicted to it. I can't, you know, I've had, I've had close friends of mine who had teenagers who, who one of my friends said, don't let your kids get into video games. My kid got so hooked on the video game. So in the back of my mind, even though it might be an anecdotal one or two, or, you know, there was a, there was a documentary on Netflix about some, I forget where it was. It was either China or Korea. These kids were so hooked on the video games. They had to have, uh, uh, there was, did you see this where they had these, these interventionists would show up at their house and take them to, to some place. It was like a drug. It was like a rehab. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see that? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've heard the stories and, you know, look, it's it's certainly true that there are kids and adults who develop unhealthy relationships with technology. And in those cases, you know, intervention is absolutely uh, um, um, appropriate. Um, but, you know, to me, the, 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 the bigger issue, you know, I, I think we've been sort of tricked by the tech company. I have a conspiracy theory about this, that like the tech companies want us to believe their, their tools are so powerful and we're powerless, right? And that, and that once you get hooked by the algorithms, there's no way, there's no way out, which is a great way to sell advertising, I think. Um, but, it, but it's not true. I'm a, I'm a human. I, I, I can make my own decisions. And what I want to teach my kids is how to make decisions in that, in that, in that circumstance. Stance, um, you know, and when I do hear about the kids who have these 
unhealthy relationships, the kind of relationships that you, uh, that, that, that some people might call addiction. Uh, I, I tend to go, you know, there's probably other things going on in those kids' lives, right? This is, this is the way they're dealing with maybe other traumas, other, other deep psychological issues. And the idea that we're going to put that on the video game, I, I, it worries me that it keeps parents from looking at at at, at the deeper problems mm. um, and looking at, at what you know where is the where where are the 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 emotional discomforts that are that are, that, that that are leading kids to 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 get so um, unhealthily related to some to to something digital. Um, I like that, uh, by the way, because I think you know I think a lot of us, even as adults, we don't look at the cause of why we're avoiding something, right? So, you know, exactly like you said, like you might be in a relationship and you find yourself sitting there in front of the TV all the time and just staring at the TV, not talking to your wife or girlfriend or whatever it is. And you might even sit there and go, God, I'm bored with this TV. I'm bored with all this stuff. But the truth is there's an underlying thing. You're avoiding something with that, that partner of yours. Similarly with the kids, as you said, maybe they're going through something and that's helping them cope. Now tell the folks about what you said when you say in, in your TED talk, you say, you know, we've been through this like Socrates or the, <laughs> or the people sitting in front of the train window and the kids talk about some of the historical stuff that's happened before. Yeah. I mean, every time there, every time there's some sort of technological uh, transformation, some kind of huge innovation that, 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 that really changes the way that we live uh, there, there's an enormous amount of, of, of fear and there's stories about brain damage and there's stories about uh, about addiction. Um, you know, I, I often talk about Socrates who who was against writing you know, writing had just been invented and he was like, this is terrible. It's gonna ruin everyone's memory. We're not gonna be able to have any real conversations because uh, in one of my favorite quotes, he says, cause you ask words what they mean and they just say the same thing over and over again, right? Uh, you know, he, wa he wanted that dialogue that he's so famous for. But there's a million other examples. The, the, the printing press, there was enormous resistance, this worry that people were going to sit isolated by themselves reading books, because before that, all storytelling was communal in churches or around f or fire pits. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know how they did it, but it, it was certainly communal storytelling and communal entertainment. And then suddenly we got we, we got books there. People were printing pamphlets like crazy when the printing press, because for the first time, you didn't need like all, all of the entire... Uh, um, you know, all the authorities to decide what got put out. So people were printing pamphlets and there was a big fake news scare at that point that what's going to happen if anyone can just put out any pamphlet about anything and the Pope can't decide what's real and what's not, uh, you know, and then, the, you know, the example you mentioned was trains. Um, yeah, they were, I mean, cars too. They were afraid they went too fast and that people's brains couldn't handle the, the, the world going by that fast. In fact, there were cars that were blacked out on trains that were for kids to sit in where they covered the windows because parents were afraid of it. You know, the fears are, 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 you know, I'm not saying the fears are unreasonable. We want people to be researching this stuff. We want them to be looking to see what the impacts are. Um, um, but we also need to understand that, that our fear is usually about uh, that we don't recognize where thing where things are going. You know, we all have this fantasy. Like, I wish my kids had the same uh, the same childhood I had, but I didn't have the same childhood my parents had. There's no there's no childhood that's that's the same. It's always changing. You know, I was part of the generation that hung out in Seven Eleven parking lots, and my kids hang out in Roblox and Minecraft. You know, that that that's that's just a different way of doing it. Um, no, I don't want to give the impression that I'm all like, you know, laissez-faire, let everything happen. I'm pretty strict with, with my kids. I'm pretty careful. I watch what they're watching. Uh, I ask them to show me the YouTube channels they're watching. I like to see the games they're playing. And I like to ask a lot of questions about it and challenge them. Do you give, so, so practical advice to parents, do you give them, yeah. like you said, do you say, is there a time limit? Is there a, how, how do you monitor? Because I do something that I don't know if this is right or wrong based on what you've written and said, but I've had it before. I tried to tell them about this whole addiction thing. And maybe there's a discussion to be had about, are these games addictive? Is TV addictive? Is it not? Because I told them, I said, guys, try to always be in control. Don't let the game be in control. So yeah. there's been times when I'll yell upstairs, my son's playing a game. I go, Dara, come down. We're having dinner. And he goes, just one minute. I'm almost finished. I go, leave the game now. And the <laughs> whole point I'm trying to show him is that even if you leave the game, when you're about to set your record, 
even if you walk away from the game, the world's not over. You can always go back to the game. And I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, because obviously he's not feeling the full satisfaction of trying to break the record. But I'm saying pull away from it. So is that a good thing or am I doing a bad thing? I mean, I think you're doing a good thing. I, I, I do the same thing. I mean, the first thing I want to say about that example is, is, is that's one that you hear a lot from parents. You know, I'll tell them to come to the dinner table and they, and, and they won't come. Or, or, or my kids always go, I just have to save. And for some reason, saving is getting harder and harder and takes longer and longer than it did when I was a kid. Um, but, but they, um, you know, I, I don't think we should blame that on the video game, right? That's a sort of uh, age appropriate obsession, right? Like I've had some of the biggest fights with my kid because he didn't want to stop building a Lego set, right? B to come to the table also, right? This is a pretty normal thing. Uh, um, you know, there's, they're, 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 it's hard to pull a kid away from a book when they're big readers. Uh, and so I don't, you know, don't blame that on the game. I also think you're doing the right thing because I think a major part of what we do as parents is prepare our kids with the executive function and self-regulation skills to respond to the circumstance, right? Like if, if, I'm, if, I have a, if I have a meeting, even if I'm in the middle of writing the best sentence of my life, I got to go to that meeting and I have to learn how to do that. And I love to learn the strategies to do that. So I think doing that over and over as parents is a good thing. What I would say to parents in terms of, uh, in terms of making that advice, make sure they hear that advice the right way is, they're not gonna listen. Like, like, like what we do as parents is we nag for years with the hope that by the time they're adults, they don't need us to nag anymore. I think a lot of parents get upset because they're like, nothing changed, so maybe I'm doing it wrong. No, what you do is you remind, here's the values, here's the right thing, and, and, and they don't listen. And I'm sure if you called my mother, she'd be like, I still feel like I have to nag him about things he doesn't, he doesn't listen to. Uh, you know, that's, that's, part of the, that's the bad part of parenting. Um, you know, we, we're supposed to be nags. I like to think of it like, uh, like we want this, we, you know, I, I, uh, I have this, like these two voices, like the, the, the good and bad angel on my shoulders yeah. of my parents. And like all, I, all the time, all day long, I walk down the street. And when I think about how do I respond, I go, what would my mom say? And I listen to her. What would my dad say? And I listen to her. And so I'm trying to create that voice for my kids. And I think when you tell that story, what you're doing is putting a voice in your kid's head, where in the long run, they're going to be like, all right, my dad would be disappointed if I didn't stop doing this and go to my date. Okay, I'll buy that. I'm into that. Maybe what I'll do is I'll sneak into his room when he's sleeping and just whisper things and really have him hear my voice and think he's imagining, like he's hallucinating. He'll come up to me like, did you say this last night? Like, did What you are you going to whisper? Yeah, I'm going to whisper, clean the house. And he'll come downstairs and say, did you say clean the house? I don't know what you're talking about, buddy. But if it's telling you, then that's your mind telling you what to do. Tara, what's your question for Jordan? So I would like to make a quick statement on behalf of all the, all the kids in the world who seem like it's getting harder and harder to save when you're playing video games now because they take up so much memory you can only save at certain places you can't <laughs> just save in the middle of the game so they could save before you started or they have to get to the next segment before they could save afterwards but if they're in the middle of it they've put in a lot of work and you're taking that away from them i just want to point that out so for all the parents in the world that don't understand how that works that is how it works so you're defending Jordan's kids and their and their slow saving capabilities. Okay, I'll go with that. No, no, and I, but I also think like that's really that's really an important thing though for you for you know I I agree with you. Uh, I do think we also need to be aware of the fact that there's a lot of work and 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 they and they and understand what they're going through. Now I I I'll often say to my kids, you know, you knew dinner was going to be at seven o'clock. It's at seven o'clock pretty much every day. I don't know why you got involved in a long campaign, right? before that, but absolutely, I think parents sure. need to be aware of the fact that this has got so much caught up in your kid's identity and their sense of persistence and their sense of dignity. And, and you don't want to, you know, don't treat it like it, like it's nothing. Then again, it's also our job to teach them priorities and limits and, and, and you got to balance those things. Well, well as like, an author, go, Jordan, go ahead, go ahead. I team. was going to say, Jordan, as an author, there are times where you're probably in the middle of a thought, a creative process, a train. What if someone came, stopped you right then, and then threw away everything that you had written for that moment of time, like all the last 17 pages, they were like, hey, we need to eat, grab, throw it, throw it away. You'd be a little upset. It would be very frustrating for you. So it's a similar process. But the question I wanted to ask you specifically was, in the history of man, when did we care about being good parents? When did that happen? When did everyone <laughs> want to research and, and read and do these things? Because was this something people were doing in the 1600s? Like, 
oh, thou art good father. <laughs> and then they were reading that, or is this something very new? So that's a really fantastic question. Um, um, I mean, I, I think I think there's always been the question of, of how do we um, make sure that our offspring are 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 equipped to participate in the communities in which we live. But I think you know what what you're getting at with your question, which I, I which which is which which I think a lot of people don't realize is how much of the way we think about family is actually very very unique to the industrial industrial age right um these notion the, you know the notion of the nuclear family itself fam family comes from the latin famulus which actually me meant the collection of slaves belonging to one man right so, so the original family was was basically you know some patriarch probably had a household and all the slaves and all the apprentices and actually the brothers the younger brothers you know when you hear about birthright in in in, in biblical stuff this, this this that's what it was about whoever was the what was the firstborn got the got the sort of patriarchal compound and everyone else worked for that person they were considered the family and so i think that person was still probably very concerned with what's the best way to imagine manage my family compound but our current notion which really starts to happen you know in the 20th century this idea of um and a bunch of sociologists and anthropologists have written about th this sort of transition from from parenthood as a kind of authoritarian directive, I tell you what to do, I tell you who to be, to parenthood as a kind of democratic negotiation between child and kid. Now, now a lot of people don't like the sound of that because you know, know who the dad is, but I think what's underneath it is this question of how do I help them arrive at their own story? How do I help, how do I guide them? And, and that's where the mindset that most of us have because we recognize that all people deserve autonomy. That's a, that's a, that's a modern way of thinking. All people have an, a, a unique uh, uh, internal psychological experience. And so our job as parents becomes what's the best way to cultivate that? That's a lot harder than just do this, do that, you know, issue, issue, issue commands. And, and there's a lot of things that we do in order to make that work. Uh, so for example, um, you know, a lot of people wrote about how, how just as the, the TV and the big consumer capitalist economy grew, grew up, uh, parents started to use the, the, the withholding or, or, or indulging of, uh, of, of, of gifts or money or, <laughs> or uh, as a way to basically um, communicate values. And, and I think we're starting to see this with screen time too, is that, is, that, is that parents are sort of communicating values by withholding these sort of, these sort of temptations or allowing, or allowing these temptations. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's, I mean, I, we could have a much longer discussion about how we feel about that transition and where, whether, you know, how we should reflect on it in the long run. But I think for, for parents, you know, just acknowledge that that's where we are and therefore that's where so much of my argument in the new childhood comes from is this idea that we need to be really thoughtful about the values we're communicating when it comes to these screens and these digital devices because this is a big deal this is how we build citizens this is how we this is how we build community members this is how we build a, a, a adults this is the thing right you know we all might have been like hey we want to go buy our star wars action figures and they decided you know well did you do mow the lawn enough before you can have your action that's not our kids our kids now are, are, are like I, I want i want screen time and we need to think about what we're communicating there. And instead we have a lot of parents going, no, it, it's bad. I'm afraid that you don't play outside enough. <laughs> you know, I should say you should, kids should absolutely play outside a lot. <laughs> you know, it's, first of all, Tehran, I also have an answer to your question. I think that I can tell you my own parents didn't think about raising us as much as we're thinking about the way I raise my kids. And I'm sure it's the same for you, Jordan, but not to say my parents just threw me out in the streets, but they certainly did not read books on how to communicate yeah. with your kid. I mean, my mom would smack me. It was that easy. It was like, it got, she got to a, a breaking point. She would break, but bam, that was it. You know, um, <laughs> I feel guilty if I don't go out and play tennis with them or whatever. Like I've hurt myself several times trying to keep up with my kids. You know, I took surfing lessons at the age of 46 or whatever I was, you know, trying to, because they would take so that they would take it and they had a great time they're young and they're limber and they're just jumping up and i'm jumping up and i'm like oh my back so <laughs> i think somewhere in the in the past couple generations we've cared more and more about this stuff but 
one thing that well, I, I should say that's also partially because of the the, the increasing secularization of, of, of humanity right um, uh, a lot of a lot of religions I mean my parents weren't super religious but they were certainly more more active in Judaism than, than, than I am and there's a lot already sort of defined about how you do that right it's already sort of <laughs> laid out this is the, there's rituals and there's all these things you do at, at each age and so and so I think that you know they sort of believed that if they followed all those things it worked well, now let me ask you a question because, as you said, you got to get outside, right? You got to go do stuff. So, under the pandemic, one of the issues my wife and I have is our kids are doing Zoom school. So now it's their job basically starting at eight or nine in the morning till two or three in the afternoon to sit in front of the computer, tiny little breaks here and there. Yeah. I do see them doing stuff that's for joy but still a lot of times in front of the computer for example my daughter eats lunch with her friends on the computer or they will have dance contests together on the computer and then when the day ends she'll say i'm still playing with so-and-so on the computer or i'm going to do a dance contest on a screen at what point does this start getting like okay this is too you know there's too much shut it down go stare at the clouds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I want to, of course, it's going to depend on, depend on the kid. Um, you know, my, my, my pandemic or not pandemic, and pandemic certainly does add uh, uh, um, a lot of concerns also because their only way to socialize is on, is on screens too, right? They, they, they're only, you know, that's when they're often talking to their friends in the evenings, they're in some video game and talking through the chat or in the Discord room. Um, the, you know, you know, my my attitude to this has always been, uh, you, it's much more important to talk to let your kids know what the expectations for all the things you want to see them do are than to restrict the things that you know than to make rules about what uh, about not too much, right? So my kids know I expect them to read books. You know, this is a big one for me, right? To me, reading books most important thing. When they go, I don't like reading. I go, I don't care if you like. You know, reading's like brushing your teeth. You do it, uh, and you do it every day, no matter no matter what. And you might, uh, it, you know, because otherwise we're gonna have to floss your brain, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your but brain's going to get a all, cavity, right? Right. But we all we all know that 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 reading that re, that reading is one of the most powerful things that that, that you can do for yourself. Uh, I want them to play outside. I expect them to play outside. I expect them to do some kind of creative projects uh, occasionally. And when I don't see those things, I go, "Hey, you haven't done those things in a while. I expect to see it." And I certainly have days when I go, time to get off the screen and do one of these other things, right? Um, and, and I have no problem saying that 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 to them. Uh, what I don't have a rule is that a certain duration uh, of time in front of a screen is 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 negative. I mean, again, I said creative things. You know, I, I have one son who who's really into 3D printing and 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 he saved up like all his gifts from all his aunts and uncles and bought himself a 3D printer and like he'll spend hours modeling, uh, building models. Right, like, like, why would I take that away? Like, that's a super creative, positive uh, way of, uh, uh, of using a screen. So this idea that screen time is anything uh, itself. Uh, lately, my kids have been really into uh, into video editing. They, you know, they're, they're shooting videos and, and 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 practicing editing them. And I think that's sort of a great a great skill. As long as he's not using the 3D printer to make a Molotov cocktail, you're in good shape. <laughs> Just make sure that's the case. Because so I think broad strokes of what I'm getting from it's you, funny. Wait, it's funny you say that because they did. The first thing he did was he 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 printed himself a, a plastic toy gun because I had never let him have toy guns in the house. And I was and I was like, crap, I can't say no. You he designed it himself. He printed and then, it. And then you look at the video on TV, he's at the Capitol. You're like, oh no, oh no. My whole my whole book, oh, no. <laughs> whole idea of, of of video stuff is good, is it's just gone bad. It's just gone so here's I'm Gonna, again, I'm going to let Tehran ask a question in a second, but but I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, broad strokes of what you're saying, one of the things that really I think I'm taking from you is the whole relax, because I think we as parents put our anxieties on kids. Like, you know, my wife and I, when our son was 10, 11 or so, he wanted to ride his bike around the neighborhood, and we were both nervous as hell. We're like, oh my God, what if he goes? What if he, you know, what if he falls? What if he gets kidnapped? What if there's a million what ifs? And we really started very slowly by going, okay, okay, we just go, just go literally around the block and show up again. And the kid did, he was so excited. We're like, oh, you could do two times. And you realize, like what you just said, throughout history, these, these emotions have existed. But when we take 
our anxieties and we worry. We're like, oh my God, he's playing a video game with, he'll never get into Harvard. He's, he's playing a video game, you know? And, and it's like, no, relax. Cause you said at one point that I think with one of your kids or, or maybe it was a, 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 an example you came across, they, these people were playing games and eventually when the kid turned like 15, he got bored of the games and just got rid of the whole console, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly happens. I can't promise it's going to happen. <laughs> I certainly have friends who, who, who are my age that still play a lot of video games for, for fun. So, so, but, but, but they're, but they're pretty, uh, they're pretty well adjusted. I, I mean, yeah, it, it really is. It really, is. I mean, I don't want to say completely relax. I just think we're putting our stress in, in, in the wrong places. Uh, um, our, our, our stress should be about thinking about how they feel, how they think about themselves, how they interact with others while in these while in these spaces. They shouldn't be on, are these spaces good or bad? You know, a few years ago, I remember, maybe it was last year, there was a, a survey and they interviewed all these kids and the kids were saying things like, I think I spend too much time on social media. And I was like, man, this is terrible. Like they've clearly like absorbed all this like self-loathing. Meanwhile, it's all they're doing. I have college students, they tell me I have to erase the Instagram app or else I can't do my homework. And I'm like, something's off here like you shouldn't have to do you should be able to to, to manage that and and all these people wrote these articles like see it's bad because the kids are even saying it's bad and i was like so many women think they're fat and they're not and and, and like we give these attitudes and these narratives to people just because they're saying it that should tell us more about what we're doing wrong with our kids that's what i was saying when i was saying we keep handing our kids this narrative that the tools will decide who you are and how you feel and whether you can work and whether you can concentrate and you can't stop and you know and that's not the narrative we want to give them we want to give them the narrative that you're in control of these tools you're in control of these technologies and here's how you make the right choices around them i heard someone say to you that the kids uh, sometimes lose themselves in these games and you said well maybe the kids find themselves in the <laughs> games correct I did say that once. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I think they're, I think they're, I mean, part of that comes from there's a, there's a ton of research about play, um, you know, play through, through play, you know, childhood play, little, as little kids, you learn all of these sort of social skills. And what that means, to put in simple language, is you learn to show up as yourself in situations with others, right? And that means learning how to regulate certain behaviors. That learns, means learning how to communicate. That means learning that you can't throw a temper tantrum every time you get, don't get your way so that you can maintain fun, right? So if you imagine a like three-year-old, he just wants to have fun all day long, but he learns very quickly that when a fight starts, the game's over. So he tries to learn how to not start fights, right? Tries to learn how to manage and do conflict resolution and all those things. And that's as much about learning how to be yourself, how to show up, how to be present. That's what's happening in, in, in these games in, in, in a way, right? Uh, is that they're learning how to be present and learning how to show up as themselves in a digital world, in a connected world, which is the world we all live in now. Um, and, and, and so... You know, to me, that I, I think that's what I really meant in terms of, of finding themselves. We need to understand the degree to which that is. And that that's sort of a two-sided coin, because on the one hand, that means we have to realize as parents, um, you know, that's scary to parents because they don't see what's happening in that world. And that's my real push for parents is play video games with your kids, ask your kids about their video games, make sure you understand what is happening to them so you can teach them how to create that narrative so you can be that voice in their head while they're playing. I, when I, what I learned from playing video games with my kids when I was, when we were first divorced was that I got to give them this narrative about how do you respond to losing, right? How do you get sad? Do you get angry? Do you make fun of each other? What kind of, what kind of, of talking smack is pro-social and what kind is just mean and bad and not okay? Uh, and, and those are all things we need to learn. Right now, there's a whole bunch of kids right now who whose parents are telling them that, 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 that the screens are terrible. So they're not talking about that with their parents, right? They never bring it up with their parents. Instead, they just go on YouTube and watch YouTube streamers. I'm sure some of those YouTube streamers are good people. I can't be sure they all are because I haven't watched them all. Well, I, I like need to help my kids learn how to make meaning and sense of the narratives that they're, that they're receiving. I like your Star Wars-like um, um, advice. Be the voice in your kid's head. I like that. <laughs> hey, Ron, he was talking about kids finding themselves through these games. Do you find yourself through Twitter? I think Twitter is an adult version. Do you think you've gotten to know yourself better by being on Twitter, Tehran? 
That's actually interesting. I feel like I've gotten to know humanity better as I've been on Twitter and I'm not liking it so much. Like, <laughs> it's just not my thing, you know? Like maybe I should have been a bird. Maybe uh, I feel like a bird does pretty well. Yeah, was... I, I do think as adults, we also, we, we use social media. It's part of my generation. It's just something we normally do. Um, and it's, there are times that I think I'm on it too much though. When Jordan brought that up, there are times where I'm like, this is getting crazy. I'm on clubhouse until six in the morning. What am I doing? Yeah, I mean that, that's certainly true. I definitely have nights where I've watched a little too much Netflix, and I'm like, why did I why did I binge all night? Yeah, but that's normal. I mean, I think we all we all do that, and we have to learn how to make decisions. We have to empower our kids to make those decisions about that. But that's where Jordan, themselves. you were saying, if you are the voice in your kid's head, like if I if I'm on if I'm on Clubhouse or Twitter or Netflix for too long, I should hear my mother's voice say what are you doing you stupid idiot go to sleep i'll be like oh okay mom so i like that listen i want to go ahead t what do you got i have a question i have a question to jordan which is what is a feminist dad and why is it important to be one well before you say that i want i wanted to actually that's what i was gonna i was gonna transition to that so i want the listeners to follow us so the other book that you've written besides telling kids to play video games with yeah. the new childhood which, by the way, that's simplifying it. You're telling parents stop worrying, be involved with your kids, and and lean in. And this is this is technology. Don't fight it. Get in there, and and it's a great book. So I, I advise people to read it. Parents should read it. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, but now your new book that comes out May 11th, which is Father Figure: How to Be a Feminist Dad, and that's yeah. the question Tehran just asked. Which is, go ahead. What is a feminist dad? Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 that that th th this book was uh, was came out of how do you um, you know we're all going through a time where 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 gender is being renegotiated and 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 there's a lot of confusion and I looked around and I would talk to all all all, all of my friends and what what I discovered was that you know men really wanted to, to be doing the right thing, you know, at least the, at least the ones I talked to. And, and I think and I think mo most of them and they really wanted to change their approach to thinking to thinking about gender. They hear what's going on in, in, in the news, uh, but they don't even know how to navigate it. Right. We have an entire world full of just constant patriarchal messaging, you know, telling us how to behave in these ways that uh that that, that are misogynist to uh, um and, and and oppressive to 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 women we also behave in ways that are oppressive to a lot of other people too i just decided to pick this this one as the one as the one to uh, to to look at in 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 the book and i wanted to help men navigate that i also noticed a lot of men were were really hurting right where where they were like i feel like i keep trying or they read all these books for men that like tell them you know lean into your core manhood manliness erection you know like all this all this weird 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 stuff and then they go back and they tell their wives or their daughters or their mothers or the women in their lives what they read and the women are like that book's misogynist and they don't even understand because the book felt good to them when when <laughs> when they read it when they read it and and because the book, you know, those some of those books have really good messages. By the way, by the way, not to, not to, uh, not to cut you up, but I just got to say there have been several times where my wife is upset at something I said, and I'm, and I'm like, what, what did I say? I don't even know. What did I? What did I? What, did I, what, what just happened? So I I know what you're talking about. Keep going. Yeah, and and and. and and I wanted to give men the 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 toolbox. I mean, one, I wanted to give them the sort of first aid kit to sort of heal that pain of you're not a villain, you're not a super villain. I mean, I hope you're not. I hope you're you want. I, I recognize you're doing the right thing. Here's how you can feel good about yourself. And then I wanted to also give them the toolkit to be able to not only interact with their spouses or their partners in in ways that are more conscious and more equitable, but also to, 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 to in their everyday habits, embody ways of being that raise a generation that, that doesn't see that as the norm, that doesn't see the, 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 these outdated patriarchal ways of being as the norm. I came down to sort of four key elements to what I define as what it takes to be a feminist dad. Uh, um, the first one is you have to uh, cultivate critical consciousness. Uh, which means, you know, you have to learn to be really willing to look at what kind of structures you're participating in. And that's really hard for men because we participate in a lot of structures 
that are un unconsciously, not even realizing we're doing it, not with any malicious intent or anything that do create problematic things, right? Like that's what the mansplaining thing is all about, right? That's what the manspreading thing is like these things that we don't mean to do it. We just have learned to have that in our bodies. You gotta be willing to ask all those questions even when they hurt. That's number one. The second one is what I like to call responsive fathering or responsive parenting. You have to practice responsive parenting. You know, we, we've all learned to be what I like to call uh, uh, narcissistic patriarchal authority figures, right? And, and what I mean is we think the story revolves around- Stop talking around... about Donald Trump, come on. <laughs> right, right. Well, again, we think the story revolves around us. I think there are ways in which we all do have some of that Donald Trump, especially with our families, where we, where we see our kids as interruptions to our narrative, right? Where we see our wives as supplemental characters in our stories about ourselves. And we don't acknowledge that we're also supplemental characters in a story in which they're in charge. In which Dude, the you just blew my mind. I haven't even thought of that, but you're so right. I go throughout the day, I'll be doing something, and my poor little beautiful 10-year-old daughter, she <laughs> says her cute little, she'll come down and go, Daddy, and I'm like, what? Like, as if to say, hey, my my plot was moving along. I'm in the middle of my plot. How dare you interrupt my plot? You're so, that's a fantastic one but keep going sorry keep, no I no i mean and, that, and and i will just add one other thing to that because that that's because that, i think you 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 it's not it's not even just the the interruption i think part of the pain that men feel going through this moment that that feels so disorienting is we're like wait i was the hero in the story and now you're telling me i'm the villain in the story and we can't compute the idea that we could be both at the same time and we need to learn being responsive means recognizing that sometimes you're someone's villain and sometimes you're someone's obi-wan kenobi and sometimes you're the Luke Skywalker character, right? And you have to be able to embody all those things at the right time. That was number two. The, the third one is we just got to get rid of what I like to call locker room gender essentialism, right? And this is all the stuff we all learned in middle school, like boys are this way, girls are that way. You know, boys are always horny. Girls just want to love and have relationships. Like it's all nonsense. There's no scientific proof to any of that stuff. Everybody is an individual. There's no female brain. There's no male brain. There's no like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Like we are all unique individuals with a unique compilation and we need to acknowledge that and you know we may show our, our kids that by going hey i'm gonna really interrogate whether or not the roles in my household with my spouse are because of assumptions i made about gender or are they because we're actually good at it i happen to do all the cooking in my family because i was a professional cook for years and everyone else sucks compared to me it's not because i'm the man you know, we don't sit there and go, what do you do because of our of gender roles? And I want kids to see us. I want them to see us interrogating that. I want us to see them making that decision. Get rid of the stupid locker room gender essentialism. It's serving no one. I'll say one more thing about that one before I move to point four, which is we get so much, especially in the in in the sort of new agey world where they're like my internal feminine and my internal masculine and like goddess culture. And that's all fine. I think those things sort of speak to real psychological ways of being that we all feel, but the idea that we have named them with genders is only contributing to maintain the current power structure. So like, let's just call it what it is, right? I have an inner nurturer and I want to nurture it. That's not feminine. That's just Jordan's inner nurturer, right? And when I say it's feminine, all I'm doing is main, is reinforcing this idea that women are supposed to be the child, the, the childcare people. And that's not, and that's not necessarily true. Maybe, maybe that's true for some women, but not for all of them. Uh, the last one is, is just, and this is the one that's really super important to me. And I think is the core uh, the, the core point of the whole of the whole book, which is radical inclusivity. Like, like we gotta we gotta be committed to ending exploitation, oppression, uh, subjugation. Like everyone deserves to live a, a, a dignified life in, in, in their way. And, and, and to be a, a true feminist dad, you have to be committed not just to, hey, I care about my wife uh, feeling equal. I care about my daughter feeling equal. You gotta care about everyone feeling equal. You gotta care about non-gender conforming people feeling like they have a, a opportunity. You gotta feel like the, tran the, the trans community should be completely free to be who they are. And then of course we can also extend this to questions of ethnicity and race. And, and I mean, you, you can imagine all of it, but that you have to embody that and you have to teach that to your kids and you have to you, all the time. Dude, I love that. That's beautiful. And I realize that the um, uh, religious right is going to burn your books because they're not into that. 
Uh, and, and also, it's not going to work in India either. They have a caste system. They're going to be like, equal? What's he talking about? But, but you're absolutely right, dude. It's a bigger issue. Tehran and I have talked a lot about this stuff as the Black Lives Matter stuff was happening, as, you know, the arguments that are made about, oh, they got to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, and I don't care, and I need the tax break, and all that crap. So I love, I'm excited about your book because... You know, I want to be a feminist dad. I think, awesome. I think you, yeah. Tehran, when you end up having a baby one day, are you going to be a feminist dad or what are you going to do? Honestly, at that point, I think it's going to be outdated. If feminist simply means equality, I feel like I'm just uh, going to be that naturally, right? I don't think I, I have it. to label it. I don't like labels. Nice. I don't, I don't even like it when my parents call me their son. You understand? <laughs> like, let's have a conversation. I'm my own entity. And then if I feel like being attached to your brand, then we can talk, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Uh, but what I would encourage you, and I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll take a look at the book because one of the things I try to do with the book is really unpack all these places uh, where, where we don't realize the things that, that we're doing, where we don't realize the way we're participating in, in, in structures. And I do think that for most people, they do what, ex exactly as you said, they want, they, they want to do that. They try to do that completely. Um, 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 but there's a lot of places where, where places, things that feel good, things that feel progressive are still sort of reinforcing, you know, for, for example, how, how many men think that by going, uh, by saying things, you know, like, you know, like, imagine if she were your daughter, you're being feminist, where like, it shouldn't even matter. She's a woman, yeah, who cares? Exactly. If she's, she's a human being. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, but I have a question for you, you Maz, about what what you, what you just said because uh, I know I know comedians uh, uh, are, are very often very worked up about about so-called cancel cancel culture. So so of course this all plays a plays a part in this long discussion. So I'd love to know you know wh where where you sit on that on on that question. Every time I talk to comedian friends, they're like this whole cancel culture. You can't tell a joke anymore. <laughs> I listen. I I I hear and I see the progressive the progression that's happening. So I get it. You know, I even, as you said, there's been times when I've said things that, it, and it wasn't with my wife, it was just in general, and people will interpret it the way they interpret it, and I, and I find myself going, what did I say? And then I have to go back and reflect and go, okay, no matter what I said, this is how these people interpreted it. So I, I try, first of all, not to necessarily apologize. I don't want to be over there going like, oh, I'm sorry, but rather, right. oh, I learned, oh, I understand, you know. So I think that there's an argument to be made about, on both sides, the, the people that get upset about certain things that are said, the way they're said, I get it. And if it upsets people, I get why that would happen. I also, as a comedian, I think one of the things that we learned early on is we get on stage and we just open our mouth and we say things and it's what's funny to us. It's what I see the world as. And so that's my point of view. So you ultimately, as a consumer, have an option to either buy my stuff or not buy my stuff. And the and then sometimes if it's an extreme enough thing that I said, the cancel culture community will come after you, in which case, you know, that's all, you know, I would take that case by case. So if you go at like, you know, a thing like, uh, like Kevin Hart having said, you know, uh, um, um, homophobic stuff years and years ago, and now he's on Ellen talking about like that didn't necessarily reflect who I was. And it was just that I was, you know, back then it was what it was. I don't believe in like, okay, let's cancel his whole career because of right. that, what he said. That said, if you go back and you find out that some person, whoever it was, you know, the whole Bill Cosby thing that happened, right? I mean, it's, it's found out that he was actually committing crimes. Yes, I can see how people would say, oh my God, he needs to serve time. That said, he's still a genius comedian. And, yeah. and so, you know, I kind of see both sides on all that. It's, it's, a, it's a tough uh, uh, subject, but, but I think... As you said, I, I see it in my kids, my own kids. I was talking about some Nate, my our old neighbors. The father was uh, black, the mother was white, and I was talking to my wife about it. And I go, yeah, you know, Kevin and Ann, you know, Kevin's black, Ann is white, and I say that. And then one, and then my kids. This is when they were a couple years younger. Their jaws dropped. I go, what? What? What happened? They go, he's not black. He's African American. I go, oh, okay, all right. Then there, he's African American. I don't know, you know. Um, Tehran, how do you feel about cancel culture? Well, when it comes to comedy, here's my rule of thumb, be funny. And if you're not funny, then this is what's gonna happen. Be funny, be funnier. And with people, it's like, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Yeah. But on the flip side, just because you're offensive doesn't mean you're right either. There is a nice gray area between the two. 
that exists. And that is what a good comedian will always find. And if you can navigate through this and be aware, be aware and have the right intent, good intentions will always come off. With Maz, he always has good intentions. Doesn't make fun of, he has fun with. And there's a yeah. difference. There's a unique yeah. difference in perspective. And so oftentimes when you see cancel culture, when it comes to, as Maz said, people who commit crimes, people who do immoral acts or unethical acts, we should cancel people. That should be the punishment. You should learn how to be a good person. And unfortunately, if we need examples to place for the rest of us, then that is how it works. We see it so well in the LGBTQ community where there were words that when I was a kid growing up were words that people said often. And now because of that pushback, you don't hear people or you'll get uncomfortable if someone uses words that are derogatory towards uh, the LGBTQ community. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, so you I, have to yeah. see that pendulum. I think we're moving forward, and 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 uh, you know, no matter what we try and do, no matter how much people storm the Capitol, I think <laughs> the end of the day, we're becoming more diverse. We're becoming more open in many ways. Uh, we're probably going away from religion. I think. I mean, that's what it feels like. Um, so I got to start wrapping it up. I want to go. We have a new segment. It's called Back to School with Jordan Shapiro. Oh. Back to school. Let me have some coffee for this. All right, you need some coffee. So I'm just going to ask you five questions. Answer as fast as you can. These are quick ones. We don't need to get into them too much. Uh, this is about <laughs> okay. taking you back to high school. All right. So when you were in high school, were you a nerd or were you popular? Oh, tough question. I, w I mean, I was certainly popular. It was a tiny little school, though. So, uh, you know, I, I was a nerd, but also a popular nerd. So uh, I, I was not an outsider. <laughs> popular among the nerds. I love that. What did you want to be when you graduated from high school? What did you want to be? Well, my dream job was always to be orchestra conductor, but I just didn't have the musical chops for it. And, no, I tried. I just wasn't, wasn't good enough. You have the hair. He has the hair. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. right. But when I first graduated high school, I worked at, I worked as a chef uh, for for a while. So that was what I wanted to do till I realized how terrible the hours are and how bad the pay is. Well, that goes to the next question. Did you learn anything in high school that you still use today? Oh, yeah, I learned a ton of stuff in high school that I still use today. I mean, it's interesting. It goes back to the music. I think the best thing I learned in, in, in high school was was studying music and writing music and learning about music. And even when I write books today, so much of it is about the melody. So much of it is about the rhythm. I love that answer because I always tell my kids, I'm like, just find play an instrument. It'll help you in life a lot more than some of the other crap that you're studying. Anyway, um, at 13, this is a video that can be found. It's on your website. If people go to jordanshapiro.com, you'll see the video. It's there. You won $10,000 on America's Funniest People because you and your friend, you guys sang a song. It's on YouTube. And the song is, What Part of the Pig Does the Hot Dog Come From? Yeah, and so, the funniest thing about it is I don't think we understood that there was a phallic joke in it. We were really just thought it was funny that you didn't know where the hot dog was from. <laughs> hilarious. So that video is so funny. So two things I want to ask on that. Number one is what happened to your friend? I think that was Frankie. What's he doing yeah. now? Oh, he, he, he's currently making, a, making an independent film called Not For Nothing in, in South Philly's Italian market. Uh, uh, he's, he's, still, he's still working hard. We're still very close friends. We talk all the time. We've known each other since, since, since kindergarten. Uh, uh, we lived together in New York City for a long time, and, uh, and, and, we, and we made a whole album of songs when we were 13. That warms my heart. And would you sing us just one frame of what, what part of the pig does the hot dog come from? How does it go? Uh, it, it, I'll sing you the first verse. It goes like yeah. this. There's something I've been wondering, something I want to know since I was a young boy. And even as I grow old, I've asked all my friends and my family too. I still don't have an answer. So I thought I'd ask you, what part of the pig, what part of the pig, what part of the pig does a hot dog come from? Beautiful, beautiful. I'll see you at the Grammys next year. <laughs> Listen, final question for you. Um, you got any dad jokes? <laughs> any dad jokes? Um, did you hear about the boy rope and the girl rope? They no. did lots of naughty things together. Ah, oh. I love it. I love That's it. It's a little binary. That's the only problem with that, that joke. A little heteronormative, but, uh, <laughs> but it's still funny. Well, I love it. And I'm going to go now. Final segment of the show. We're going to find out what we learned. Tehran, what did you learn from Jordan Shapiro on the show today? That I should have a hippie dad. 
that I should have had a hippie dad. I feel like that's what I learned. Can you imagine? He would have played video games with you instead of making you fix cars. Tehran's yeah. dad used to make him fix cars. And work on did the he house. teach you how to do it or did he just go make it run or you're, or you're, or you're grounded? No, no. He, he kind of taught me how to do it by doing it and then me being there and learning and then doing it on my own. I learned today to be the voice in my kids' heads. I love that. I'm going to use it. I appreciate you for coming That's on. That's not Jordan. what it means, Mark. That's not, I don't think it means what you think it means. I'm going to start whispering in their ears and trick them to clean the house. Jordan, um, your book currently that's out is The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World. May 11th, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad. I can't wait to get my hands on that. I love what you're saying in there. People find you uh, on, on Twitter. What's your handle again? Twitter, Twitter is Jordash. And if you want to know more about the books, you go to feministdadbook.com. Can we say that like 20 times? Feministdadbook.com. 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 Feministdadbook. Follow Jordan. Read his books. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us uh, today on Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back to school. Thank you for listening to another episode of Back to School with Maz Jobrani. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're having fun. And we hope you're learning something. So make sure to let your friends know. Share it on iTunes. Share the clips from YouTube. Just get it out there. However you're listening, let your friends know to tune in to Back to School with Maz Jobrani. Back to school. Yeah.